I'm not sure what you're doing tonight, but what I'm doing involves a bottle of Carvassier and a lady. Well, maybe not the Carvassier, but definitely a lady. If you're like me, you're tired of expensive, girly-smelling colognes from expensive department stores. You don't want to smell like a little bitch. You want to smell like a friggin' man. That's why I've partnered with Duke Cannon. Duke Cannon has a wide range of men's grooming products that actually smell manly as hell. My personal favorites are their Naval Supremacy Bar Soap and all of their awesome smelling colognes that women love. I have several of their colognes for different days of the week, but my Saturday night cologne is Grant because it gets the job done, if you know what I mean. Right now, if you visit duke.comeonmanpod.com, you get free shipping on orders over $25. Using duke.comeonmanpod.com tells them I sent you and you get free shipping. Win-win. Again, that's duke.comeonmanpod.com. Don't smell like a little bitch. You, my friend, are listening to Come On Man, a 3% Man podcast. I'm your host, Paul Bauer, and I am on the road to being a 3% man just like you. If you're new to the show, this is a podcast for fellow students of Cordy Wayne's book, How to Be a 3% Man, and for men who just want to be better in general. We talk about dating, gaining wealth, being happy, and using the law of attraction to get everything we want in life. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of Come On, Man! If you haven't done so already, please like, fave, subscribe, hit those notifications, And if you are listening on your favorite audio platform of choice, please give us a five-star review or whatever rating system they have because it helps out more than you know. This week, guys, uh, really blew my mind. It really blew my mind. Uh, A lot of you guys know I'm a law of attraction guy. Um, I have a goal board up here. You can't see. And since January, I've had on the goal board to interview this gentleman. He's the author of No More Mr. Nice Guy, the author of Dating Essentials for Men. And I talk about both those books all the time. And I wanted to talk to him. And I said, back in January, I go, I'm going to interview Dr. Glover. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to put that out to the universe. Now, the funny thing is, during this interview, I asked him about the law of attraction because there's a a chapter in Dating Essentials for Men on abundance thinking. And a lot of the stuff he says is the same kind of thing that you see in, you know, the movie, The Secret, or you read in any of these law of attraction type books. And, you know, what it really comes down to is mindset. But I asked him about that. I was like, are you a law of attraction guy? And, uh, his response might actually surprise you. Uh, it surprised me a little bit, actually. But uh, still, I think at the end of the day, uh, he and I are on the same page with this. But uh, this conversation is fascinating. I didn't get to ask him all the questions I wanted to ask him, but that's okay. Because what we got, I think, was pure gold. And I will bring you that conversation right after this. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, 
with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I often get inundated in my DMs on TikTok and Instagram with guys asking me for online dating tips. How should I respond to this message? How should I set up my profile? How do I start a conversation? Look guys, I'm a podcast host, not a dating coach. That's why I've partnered with one of the best dating coaches in the industry. You may know him as Performance Potential on TikTok, but I know him as Evan. And Evan has come up with one of the best dating app coaching programs in the industry that he's calling The Dating Dynamic. If you click the link in the description and use my promo code COMEONMAN30 at checkout, you will get 30% off the cost of his program because you're one of my listeners. You often hear that 80% of women are only going for the top 20% of men on dating apps. Well, this course is guaranteed to show you how you can be in that top 20%. So quit complaining and do something about it. Click the link in the description to sign up for the Dating Dynamic program today and get 30% off when you use my promo code COMEONMAN30. Again, click the link in the description and get 30% off when you use my promo code COMEONMAN30. Be in the top 20%. All right, this week we have a really special guest. In fact, I've had it written on my goal board since January that I was going to get him on the podcast and here he is. The author of two life-changing books, No More Mr. Nice Guy and Dating Essentials for Men, Dr. Robert Glover. How are you doing today, sir? Paul, I'm well. Doing even better now that I get to sit here and talk to you. (laughs) Thank you. That makes me feel good. Um, You you just made me feel good. It's only fair. (laughs) Well, you probably get this quite a bit, but your books have had a profoundly positive impact on my life. So, you know, I'm really grateful that you could take the time to join me today. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for the invitation. And I like hearing that, you know, of course, I like knowing that the, the work I put into teaching and writing uh, pays off and, and helps people. So yeah, I do hear it a lot. And it, I don't get tired of hearing it. So thank you for sharing. That. <laughs> no, but you know, it's funny on my, uh, my TikTok. uh, channel, I get a lot of DMs and, you know, I, and I quote your books and I, I plug your books and stuff. I plug other people's books and people will DM me and say, oh man, all this stuff you're talking about, it's, it's changing the game for me. And I, and I, and initially when I started doing TikToks, it was really just to promote the podcast, but I didn't realize that it's actually touching people, you know? So yeah, it's an inter- it's been an interesting experience. I'm sure that feels good, doesn't it? That you you you're putting something out there and it's of value and is is making the world a better place. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. Like so, no more Mister Nice Guy was the first book I listened to because uh, I'm an audiobook guy, uh, and it was the first book I listened to in the manosphere. And I just remember being out, you know, walking my dog, and periodically stopping to say, "Wow." <laughs> yeah, that's me. That's me. Yep. I definitely did that. I'm guilty of that. <laughs> I've done that wrong my whole life. Um, now you were roughly my age when you started figuring this stuff out on your own. I mean, according to your books, right. You were like in your forties or, or something like that. Yeah. Maybe just a hair earlier than that. Um, I, um, yeah, sometimes I have to do the math and go back and look at it. I'm, I'll be 66 next month. And, um, I, I was probably mid to late thirties when, um, when my then wife, second wife said, 
you need to go get help. I can't take you anymore. I can't handle your passive aggressiveness. Everybody thinks you're such a nice guy, but you're not. You don't treat me well. You, you know, I'm going to leave you if you don't go get help. And mm. I thought, wait a minute, you're the one that's unhappy all the time. You're the one that's moody. You're the one that never wants to have sex anymore. You're, you know, I, I you know, I, I treat you well. But um, so yeah, around that time, I, I, I thought, well, I didn't want to lose the relationship. So I, I went looking for some assistance. And mainly, I went looking to find out why does me being a nice guy make her not appreciate me or treat me better or want to have sex? She announced on our honeymoon, aren't you glad that now that we're married, we don't have to pretend to like sex anymore? I'm thinking, I what? wasn't pretty, I wasn't pretty, I always get that reaction. Uh, <laughs> That's why I like to tell the story that, you know, so for 14 years, I stayed with her. And for the first part, the nice guy in me that thinks, well, I can fix that. I, you know, I, I, I can make everything better. Uh, that, that's kind of my superpower is to talk women down through and over and get them, get them past stuff. But unfortunately, that superpower keeps you in a lot of situations where you spend a lot of time trying to talk women down through and over and off the ledge. Um, and, but about two years into the, that marriage is when she said, you know, I just can't take, take this nice guy stuff anymore. So I, I, I went looking for answers and I, I quickly got a lot of really good answers. Uh, I started learning about boundaries. I started learning about making my needs a priority. So this, I think, was probably my late 30s, pushing 40. Okay. And um, I'm still in a men's program to this day. So I, I still believe in the work and uh, I still like challenging myself and there's still work to do. Got it. So one thing I've learned, you know, just from your books is that you're uh, a marriage counselor for years and you mm -hmm. were a marriage counselor before even figuring this stuff out. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was wondering, why do you think it took you until your forties before you figured it out? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I like being asked questions like that. Uh, um, yeah, I got, I got my PhD in marriage and family therapy at 29 years old. I, I was already in my first marriage. Um, uh, I married my first wife two days after I graduated from college. Um, and then so I got the PhD by the time I was 29. Now, the PhD taught me a lot about doing therapy. It taught me about systems. It, it, it taught me about human development. And I mean, it taught me a lot of really valuable things. But I don't know that it ever really taught me the important things like how do you pick a good partner? I mean, that is, I mean, that seems kind of crucial, right? If, mm -hmm. if you want a good long-term relationship, it begins with picking a quality partner that that you can work with because relationships are challenging. I, I often say they're, they're not natural. Pair-bonded, lifelong, sexually monogamous relationships with one person is not in our human DNA. We've been trying to do it for a few thousand years, but... Like I say, if they worked, they would work, right? We wouldn't be talking right now if relationships were inherently um, functional, right? So, you know, I don't know that I learned the things that were important. Like, how do you pick a good partner? Um, how, how do you end things, you know, in a timely way? How do, you, how do you set the tone and lead? How do you have good boundaries? How do you ask for what you want? I didn't learn that stuff in a PhD program. And it, and it really wasn't until I got into, into personal therapy, got into a 12 step group, got into a men's group when kind of, then I got the bright spotlight on my, my, my life paradigm, mm -hmm. my, my, my roadmap of who I am and how the world works. 
until I got the uh, a broad spotlight on that, usually shining on the things I was doing that didn't work very well, right? That's probably the best way to learn, you know, fuck up and then go back and analyze the fuck up, you know, yeah. well, where, where, where did this start to go south? And I, I was oblivious of the, of the fact it was going south. And where I tend to fuck up the most, I've said for a long time, I've bumbled my way through every relationship I ever have. But I think that's what everybody does. We just don't know that. We think everybody else is having an easy time finding love and keeping love. The truth is, basically, since I, I do this as a living, helping people find love and keep love, um, it isn't easy. It isn't natural. And most people struggle with it. And I think actually bumbling onto a good partner involves, I think, a lot of preparation, but also still a lot of luck. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think staying with somebody and keeping the love alive and the passion alive and the polarity alive and the fun alive um, requires two fairly mature people to make that work. And in my experience as a therapist, the majority of the people on this planet are not particularly mature. Now, mm -hmm. I, the good news is I, I think relationships have done consciously are really powerful personal growth machines and can grow us up. So it creates a nice feedback loop. You know, the challenge, if we, if we approach our relationships with consciousness, they challenge us to grow. As we grow, we can actually do relationships more effectively. And as we do them more effectively, new challenges come. And, and so it's a very positive thing. So, you know, in my books, where there's no more Mr. Nice Guy or Dating Essentials for Men, I try to give people a basic, you know, some, some paradigms that will give us the most opportunity to have some success at, at what we're trying to do. And uh, apparently I must do that halfway decent, because again, uh, a lot of people say, thank you. This really, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people have said, I've read every self-help book out there. And it wasn't until I read No More Mr. Nice Guy that everything clicked, everything made sense. And I don't think I'm all that brilliant. I, I think I, again, I just write from my fuck ups. I just write from what I, what I've struggled with. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, you, you talk about fucking up. Uh, one of the I, things yeah, I do. What, <laughs> I do well, no, well, one of the things that, uh, I see a lot, uh, especially from like, I don't know, bitter, bitter women uh, in comments. On oh, my... you, 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 you bump into bitter women on oh, social media every day. Yeah. Now? Yeah. All the time. <laughs> but one of the, the number one thing is who hurt you. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. and it's like, they say it like it's a bad thing, but the fact is a lot of us don't go on a journey like this because everything's hunky dory, you know, something happened in our life yeah. that, that didn't end well, you know, for whatever reason. And it made us wonder why and seek answers to that. And so it's, it, to me, it's like, it's, it, it's comical that they ask that, but that's the catalyst for growth for most people. I think. I agree. I mean, you know, I, I would say the majority of people that, that find my work, whether it's online or my books, do it when they're going through a difficult transition of some sort. You know, a lot of guys, especially find my dating books when, um, when, you know, they, they haven't succeeded at being in a relationship for a long time. Maybe, maybe never, maybe they've never been laid. Uh, other people, <laughs> when they're in a long-term relationship and they're struggling and it's not working well, maybe, maybe their wife or girlfriend gave them the book. I, I can't tell you how many guys have told me that the, a woman in their life gave them my book, sometimes an ex, mm -hmm. um, it's not unusual when guys are going through a divorce to, to, cause that's when we go looking for, for help and assistance, which, which is good. As you say, that, that that's a positive thing. And again, everything I write is stuff I've struggled with when I, when things weren't working, 
I tend to start asking, I guess I'm, I got kind of an engineering brain, a, a systems analyst brain is when things isn't working, why not? Mm -hmm. Well, what's not working here? Are we using the wrong schematic? Have we have not lined up the correct ones and zeros to make the machine work? And, and anything we do that involves women, that machine is going to consistently break down over time. So, so <laughs> yeah. and we men, we men think once we get the machine working right, it should just keep running, you know, for perpetually. There's a lot but, of maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with, with, with our relationships with women, that's the beauty of them is, is because the machine doesn't keep running smoothly. We have to keep waking up and saying, okay, what now? What, what is it I need to be paying attention to now? What is it I need to be learning now? What new skill set do I need to be developing? And uh, whether it's boundaries, whether it's communication, whether it's differentiation, whether it's creating healthy space, whether it's claiming our freedom back, whether it's saying no, stop, you know, it's a it's a constant um, uh, it's a constant education, which I, I, I like getting educated. Yeah, I think a, one, a big thing that a lot of men, uh, a big mistake that they make is they get out of a bad relationship. They seek answers. They read books like this. They, they improve themselves, they get into their next relationship, and then they forget about all this stuff and they fall back into their old <laughs> habits. And they're like, oh, I don't need that stuff. I got her now. And then because they don't keep the work going, they they fail again. You know, yeah. it's like it's it's a never ending process. I'm, I'm laughing because, yeah, that, that is so common. And because it relates to me, you you, you said you listened to No More Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> um, I. I the book was originally read by a professional voice and for about first 15 years or so. And, um, and about five years ago, I told my agent, I said, you know, I, I, I want to read the book. So many people tell me it just doesn't sound right. Somebody else reading it. Mm -hmm. I said, that contract's expired anyway. I want worldwide distribution. He canceled the contract. The, the company that had the contract got back about a week or two later. My agent says, um, we encourage you to accept this offer. And they said, all right, we've canceled the old contract. We want you to read the new one. Dr. Glover, no more Mr. Nice Guy. You know, they're, they're one in the same. And, and we're going to offer you a $75,000 advance and $5,000 to come to New York and read it. Mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, I'll take that. Sure. Um, but yeah. so, I, so, you know, this is about four years ago. I went back to New York and, and read it. And uh, it was really the first time I'd read it in quite some time. And I'm reading my own book, right, in, in, in a sound studio and both going, uh-oh, uh <laughs> I slipped back there. Uh-oh, oh. uh that's still me. Uh-oh, and I even got tears in my eyes reading parts of it, brought back memories, because most of the stories about real people. Um, but what what I noticed, I'm, I'm in my third marriage, and uh, my wife and I are going to celebrate our fifth anniversary in just a couple of days. And um, she's an amazing human being. I love her to death. And we've had our challenges. Uh, she brought her own baggage into the relationship. And her particular baggage, she's, she's Latina, she's Mexican. So, you know, the, the, the jealous Latina is, is I, think it's, I think it's a very real paradigm. Mm -hmm. You know, you were looking at her butt, you know, who are you talking to on your phone? You know, you were smiling when you were on your phone. Who, who you, you know, it's just, and, you know, she's gotten so much better at it. Uh -huh. um, I mean, it still comes up. But my stuff is, you know, I'll see her get that look on her face. And like my anxiety will, will, will go up and I'll go, what? What? And then I want to try to fix it and make it better. And, you know, and, and you know, she always gets over it. You know, mm -hmm. we always get through it. It's never a big deal. You know, in every other way, this woman is just amazing and, and perfect. And we can even laugh about these parts, which is great. Yeah. She'll, she'll own it. She goes to therapy. And, um, 
But my emotional operating system that, that was set up to be hypersensitive to abandonment, to criticism, is, is still there, right? That's still, that's still driving the bus because that was formed at a really early age. Now, the good news is I can notice it like that. I, I can own it. I can soothe myself. I can detach. I can lean back. I can make play out of it. I can be there for my partner rather than defending myself. But I still notice myself getting triggered by the stuff. So, the, the, and again, that's the good news. I'm, I'm, I'm in a, another relationship with a different kind of person who triggers me in ways that maybe I didn't get to work on in previous relationships. And I welcome that. You know, it's not like if you don't quit doing that, I'm going to leave you. It's more like, keep doing it, baby. I got work to do, you know, <laughs> you know and, and, and until we're done doing our work, let's keep doing this dance. That's an interesting way of looking at it. In fact, I, I so I had a note on here. I didn't. I did not realize that you were married. So congratulations on on the five years. But it, so, see, my dating stuff does work. That, does. that is the good news. It does work. <laughs> well, so, so this is the thing. So I've been. Uh, so you were married and divorced twice in the books, is what yeah. you talk about. Yeah. And so I've been married and divorced once. And you know, at this point in my life. I think that's enough for me. Like I, I, I'm sort sort of cool with long-term relationships, you know, but I just, I don't, I don't see the benefit of marriage anymore. And I wanted to get I, your, I, I wanted I did, to get your take I didn't either. That. I didn't either. I'm, yeah. I, I'm smiling because, you know, if you and I'd had this conversation 10 years ago, okay. Okay. I would have told you, because I, I used to say this, in fact, you can probably find podcasts that I've recorded and maybe, maybe interviews I've done where I, I said three things. I'll never get married again. I'll never uh -huh. live with a woman again. I'll never raise another man's kids. Okay. Okay. What you see behind me is my home in Puerto Vallarta. Uh, I bought it five plus years ago. My wife moved in with me. We got married about four months later, and I've got a 16-year-old stepson and a 14-year-old stepdaughter. Mm. Um, so everything I said I'd never do again, I'm doing. Sure. Now, you know, when, when I said I wouldn't do those things at that point of time, you know, there, there, there was good reason. That's where I was at. It's where I needed to be. And, and, and my wife, Lupita will sometimes remind me, you know, when we first met, you told me you'd never marry me. And, and I said, you know, I don't remember saying that to her, but when we first met, I spoke Spanish for shit. You know, I, I had to have my cell phone out. She did constantly looking up words and we still speak all in Spanish. So I had to learn a second language in my fifties and sixties just to be married. Um, mm -hmm. and, and initially the really good part about that was because I didn't have the, the, the language skills. I didn't have to listen to all the kind of girl bullshit stories where they complain about their girlfriends hurting their feelings or this, that, and the other thing. Now that my Spanish has gotten better, I, I've got to hear more of those kind of stories, but I, you know, she says, you should tell me you'll never marry me. I said, I think what I probably was saying is that I'm never going to get married. Not that I would never marry you, but mm -hmm. maybe I didn't have the language skills to say that. But even with improved language skills, I still get misquoted and misinterpreted a lot um, sure. by my wife. But maybe that's normal, even if you speak the same language. So, <laughs> you know, people will ask me about that. Why did I get married? And and it it, it was not an easy decision actually right mm -hmm. it, it was a process your cat's like my dog your cat's outside your your friend's yeah. doors wanting to get in but often my dog's <laughs> out there leaning against my doors i gotta lock her out or else she starts messing with stuff while i'm recording and i'm like would you stop yeah. so yeah, yeah. My, my my i've got a about 
16 month old pit bull and and you know she'll come in here and start playing with her toys while i'm recording so yeah <laughs> even though i love having her in here with me so okay so the the decision to get married um you know when i bought this house here is this is a nice size house got a swimming pool it's got five bathrooms in it and and my wife told me just a couple months ago she says i didn't know you planned on moving me into this house when you bought it and i said you're a single mom living in a ghetto your bathroom didn't even have a door on it you had rough concrete floors and i said i'm not going to go move into this house with plenty of bedrooms five bathrooms a swimming pool and say you can come visit every now and then i i mean that wasn't even it just made sense you know okay let's move in and i'm a big believer of let's get to rejection quickly right. uh the previous girlfriend i had before before i met my wife uh we tried living together twice I broke up with her both times. That's good information. You know, it was good to find out. We can't live together. And it didn't surprise me because actually everything that came up, I knew would come up. I even said before we moved in, okay, I'm not going to put up with you doing X, Y, and Z like you do with your brother and your daughter. Because I'd, I'd seen her living with her brother and daughter. And I said, that won't work with me. And, and she did the exact same stuff. So I said, nope, not going to do this. Um, nobody's going to scold me at 58 years old in my own home when I pay the rent. And so I learned, and I, that's a good way to learn. Get in, but know you can get out. So my wife and I moved in, and I got to thinking, all right, why why won't, why won't have I said I won't get married? And I started, I started thinking, I, I put it in two terms. Number one, if I had no past history, no negative history of previous marriages, previous relationships, would I be vowed to never marry again? Uh, no, probably not. I, my vow to never marry again is because I had negative experiences with it. Like, like the women ask you, who hurts you? you know? right. yeah. um, I'd been hurt, you know, in, in every one of my past relationships, you know, I, I was treated badly, but mainly because I didn't have good boundaries and I didn't set the tone and lead. Uh, so that's on me. And I thought, okay, what if it's on me? What if I can know I can set the tone and, and lead with love? What if I can set boundaries? What if I can be a good ender? Why wouldn't I move in with the person and perhaps even marry them? Okay. Mm -hmm. So if I wasn't projecting my past onto this person, a completely different person, innocent of all the crimes of my, the, you know, my past partners, uh, I thought, well, it's not fair really to project that onto her. And, but then the second question was, what is the most loving thing to do? Mm -hmm. And my, my wife had never been married before. The, the father of her two kids was a jack wagon. But, you know, if you listen to most women talk about their exes, they're, they're all jack wagons. They're all narcissists, right? They're That's... all narcissists. You're listening to the same women. They're either all, <laughs> they're all this sociopaths or narcissists yeah. if you listen to women. You know what? I'm, I'm a professional therapist. I, I can't tell you if I've met more than two or three narcissists or sociopaths in my, my total, total life. But if you listen to the women out there, Everyone every is. ex, yeah. you know, what, what I've often said is that, you know, cause I'm, I, I'm amazing. I'll get back to why I decided to get married. I'm amazing. Like I said, my superpower is talking women down through and over because my, my first love object was an unhappily married woman. That was my mother. So I had to be different, listen to her, help, help things be better. So I'm amazingly attracted to unhappily married women. I've tried it twice with women who are still married and, and it didn't work at all. Well, my second wife fit that category. And, um, but what what I've found that emotionally, if a woman is just unhappy 
with the, the, her history of relationships, that's attractive to me. It's like, I can fix that. I can be the good man. <laughs> now, th- this is sick as shit. But right, you know, they, they call that, uh, like Rolo Tomasi calls it. Captain, uh, Captain Sabo. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I know Rollo's Rollo stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's me. I, I can fix this. I can make their life better. Now, so, so you know, I, I, I had that pattern. And um, what I found is that if I, once I get with these women and think I'll be better than the ex, after a while, I start having empathy for their exes. And I'm going, you know, maybe he was just reacting to the craziness of this particular woman. And maybe he wasn't that bad because this particular woman accuses me of all kinds of shit that I haven't done. So, you know, I started thinking maybe he wasn't such a terrible human being like I was convinced to be. And then if you ever break up with them, you now get added to that list of all their narcissistic exes, right? You're a narcissist now. It's amazing. Amazing (laughs) how you go from being a nice guy to a narcissist, just like that. So, (laughs) so the part about getting married, I thought, what is the most loving thing to do? And I thought, all right, my, my partner has certain insecurities. I'm not going to fix them, but would being married, help her in with her insecurities okay it might uh if i wasn't projecting my past on her okay uh would she feel more deeply loved and me committed to her not like i could just walk out and say oh by the way you got to leave my house now you know you, you you we're done uh i i wanted to do everything i could to let her experience the depth of love and and be able to gain from that whatever sense of security she never had. She grew up eight out of 10 kids in poverty in Guadalajara, Mexico, with an alcoholic father who ran around on her her mother. Every man she's ever known has been a serial cheater. I've asked her before, have you ever known a man that was faithful to his partner? No, that's not her worldview. And, um, And so, of course, we all live by our own worldview and assume that's how the world works. So, I just thought, what is the most loving thing to do? And what would be the most loving thing for me to do to not let my fears or my past or my projections drive the bus of my life? And I thought, yeah, there's this part of me that doesn't want to have to say, yeah, I, I'm a relationship therapist. I've been divorced three times. You know, I don't want to have to say that at some point, but I thought big fucking deal. You know, if getting all the way in and doing the most loving thing means at some point I'm divorced a third time, I've, I've survived being divorced twice. And um, uh, I just got a, a, an email just before we got on the call from my agent's office saying, we just mailed you a check for $40,000. That's book royalties. Mm-hmm. So, so apparently I, I, I used to say about 10 years ago when I was single and, and, and trying to date the best I could, I, I used to, I would go through a period where I wouldn't have a relationship. And I'd say, I'm a, I'm a relationship. I'm a marriage therapist who's been divorced twice and I'm a dating guru who doesn't have a girlfriend and people still lining up to pay me their money. So, you know, we don't have to get this perfect. We don't have to have it all lined up just right. But I think again, there's value in what we learn from our mistakes, our fuck ups, how we bumble, what we bump into, what we struggle with and what comes out of that is valuable, not only for us, but for other people as well. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. I, what I've always said is, uh, well, after my divorce, right after my divorce, when I was in that long-term relationship, I was Mr. I'm never doing this again, never getting married again. But within the four years I was seeing myself, like I could marry this girl. I can marry her. And 
So at the end of that relationship, I realized I could do it again. I could. You're, do it you're, again. you're gonna. You're gonna be married again. Maybe, but I, <laughs> but the the way I look at it is like, okay, these are my stipulations, though. You know, like I, you know, I, I have to have a prenup. I I have to have separate banking accounts, like because the, the biggest fights we always had was over money. But if we can separate that a little bit within the marriage, then maybe that we'll have a little bit of, you know, calmness. Maybe but, I can but, do it. But, <laughs> You see that, that that's still you bringing what your negative experiences were in your past relationships into future relationships. Mm-hmm. And, and there is a lot of value in, in both learning from those things and then letting them go as mm-hmm. well. Cause, cause like, for example, your, your next relationship money might not ever be an issue. Here's one of the things, like I said, I've, I've been around long enough and had enough relationships that I, I, I wrote this, not too long ago. I might've written it in dating essentials for men. Um, but here's the one thing I've learned from every relationship. Every relationship introduced me to something that I didn't know I didn't want in a relationship. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my first marriage, you know, I, and I'm grateful for every relationship I've had. I'm not bitter about any of them. I'm every one of them has helped me get to where I am. My first wife taught me uh, affection and generosity. My second wife got me into therapy. My third wife, man, she just treats me like gold and whines if I don't fuck her often enough. So, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a good she, problem to have. It's a good problem. She <laughs> says, you, you don't want it the other way. I said, I've had it the other way. So, <laughs> But okay, so like with my first wife, she she could get pissed at me and go silent for days at a time. You know, I was married to her for 10 years. She's a mother of my son. And to and you know, we've been divorced for over 30 years. But to this day, I don't still don't know what she was pissed off at me about. She she wouldn't talk to me. My son tells me she still does that to him as well. That mm. she he doesn't know what she's meant. Okay, I didn't know I didn't want that in a relationship till I dealt with it. You know, in my second re- second marriage, you know, uh, this is a woman that, you know, invented shit to be mad at me about. Well, I didn't know I didn't want that till I run into it. Makes then, sense. you know, I run into another one where a woman can't get all the way in. You know, she's always kind of bailing. And, you know, every month or so they decide they need to break up. You know, I didn't, you don't know, you, you don't want that. So every relationship you get into, you're going to think, okay, I'm ready. I got the money thing figured out. I got my stipulations on the money thing. This isn't going to happen to me again. I'm ready for it. And then you get in there and money isn't even an issue. And then all of a sudden you go, holy fuck, I didn't see this coming. Now right, I got to yeah. deal with this. How do I deal with this? I've never had to deal with it. I didn't even know I was going to have to deal with it. See, I, I sort of expect that to happen. It will, I promise you. Because the money is going to be not an issue. (laughs) That's well, so I'm like, okay, then what? Yeah. Well, and even, but here's another cool thing is that once we work through whatever our issues are, we don't tend to invite those same issues back into our life just because we don't need to work on them. That's what there's almost this intuitive, unconscious dynamic of us inviting into our life what we most need to work on. Now, we don't consciously know that. But lo and behold, we keep bumping into stuff and we go, oh, this this is difficult or I don't like this or why she keep doing that. It, it's the new thing that we didn't know we didn't want. And it's the new growth machine, right? It's the new thing that's going to teach us some new skills and some new ways of being. So the money thing may or may not even come up, whether you, whether you have it handled or not, it, you know. What is more likely, if you have a hot spot about a certain subject, you'll probably invite that hot spot into your life. Sure. If it's no longer a hot spot, it's probably going to be a non-issue. 
And it's it, like yeah. in, in my, my experience, I've never had the, the money issue per se. The only thing is my second wife liked to spend, you know, what, whatever she didn't have was what she wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I always went along with that. So that's on me. You know, I, I didn't set the boundaries. I've learned to set better boundaries. But now in my present relationship, I make all the money and my wife doesn't work outside the home. So money isn't an issue. And pretty much we live in a cash economy down here. And so, you know, I was just, my rule of thumb is, do you have money in your purse? Uh, not much. I go here, take some. So I would just make sure she has money in her purse and she has an ATM card and a credit card if she needs to get stuff for the house or stuff like that. Um, but she's also very frugal. She says, I don't want anybody to waste my man's money. You work hard for your money. I don't want anybody to take advantage of you. So if we, if we have to go buy something, she goes and negotiates it. Cause if they see the, the, the American white guy coming, you yeah. know, I get the, I get the gringo price and the gringo <laughs> price is a lot higher than the Mexican price. So my wife negotiates everything. So because I've never had that issue, I'm, I'm with a woman who's actually more frugal than me. She'll often say, I'm not cheap. And I go, yeah, you are actually. But mm -hmm. she, she still likes wearing Lululemon and flying first class with me. So she's a, she's adapted okay to it. But, yeah. but she, she will not go out and spend my money frivolously. Everything she times she pays a bill, she brings me the receipt and lines them up. She'll send me pictures of them and mm -hmm. line them up on the bar. So because I don't have a hotspot around that, I, have, I haven't drawn that into my life, right? I yeah. Had to deal with it. yeah. So, you know, if you're still packing something around with you, odds are you maybe are still going to have to, to deal with that again. Yeah, that makes sense. That, does, that makes just a lot of sense. And just know, hey, you can set whatever boundaries you need to set. And probably it's the new shit that you don't see coming that's going to bite you on the ass. Probably not the, not the old stuff that you that you've got the armory and the fortifications for. Well, see, I'm hoping to avoid most of that kind of stuff by studying this stuff. <laughs> but we'll see. There you go. But the thing is, it's still going to be an adventure. It will. It, it will. It, yeah. it, it, it will. Be, it won't quit being an adventure. And here's what I promise you. If you get with a woman where everything is smooth and easy and you go, ah, oh, I've died and gone to heaven. This is amazing. You're going to start noticing other women. You're going to start checking other women out. You're going to, you might start creating turmoil in the, as, as my wife often tells me in Spanish, she says, I'm the Mar, I'm the sea. She said, you don't go to the beach and want the beach to be exactly the, the Mar ocean to be the same every day. She said, you'd get bored with me if, mm -hmm. if I wasn't this kind of crazy. And I go, yeah, you're right. You're right. And, and, you know, the kind of crazy that she is, that makes her accuse me of sexual impropriety is the same kind of crazy that when we get in bed, she can make up the most crazy, crazy, you know, I'd say crazy in head, crazy in the bed. Yeah. So <laughs> if you get the woman and everything is smooth and easy, I've been there. I dated one woman for a few months and I kept saying to her on paper, you are the ideal woman for me. And I quit saying that because I thought that probably sounds kind of unloving in itself, you know, sure. on paper, you know, you check off everything, but, right. but the big, but was, I felt no chemistry with her. There, there was nothing that, you know, that just, wound my crank, made me want to fuck her, made me miss her, that let her drive me crazy. The ones you love the most are the ones that are going to drive you the crazy the most. The ones that are easy, they're boring. Gonna, they're they're like, bored. They're, they're nice. Those female equivalent. They're nice, nice girls. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. They're the nice girls. 
And, and, you know, because they want to do everything right and make you happy. And they're trying to be different from their mother that who they think treated their dad bad. And, and so, you know, they're trying to be the good girl and you're going, this should work. This, this is, there's no problem. She doesn't spend my money. She wants to have sex. You know, she doesn't flirt with other men. She's not on social media all the time, but how come I don't feel more? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense. I, I want to shift gears a little bit here. So a lot of my, my uh, first questions were sort of around no more Mr. Nice Guy, but like we talked about offline, I feel like a lot of people ask you about that book, but not a lot of people ask you about dating essentials for men. And that book, I've, I just finished my 11th pass because that one is, I've gotten so much more out of that book. And um, I, I've, I've, I've listened to no more Mr. Nice Guy twice, but this one I, I keep listening to. Um I got no problem with that, by the way. If you if you, if you like dating essentials for men better, you know, it's it's my second child. You know, I you know you, you always love your first child more than the rest, but you know, yeah, I, I got no problem with you loving my second child more. So one of the guys in uh, so I'm in a, a part of a, a, a men's group on Facebook, the three percent man group, and one of the guys posted a couple of months ago or so that it's now available on paperback because before it was only available on audio or yeah. ebook. Right. So yeah, now it's available on paperback and you were saying that you have a, a new book out, right? Uh, yeah. You, you were, asked. you were the first person actually that, that professionally I've said this to. Yeah. We, we know I have a new book out called dating essentials for men frequently asked questions, FAQ. And what it is, is like 300 questions of that, that the, the cream of the crop of questions I was asked when I taught dating essentials for men as an online class for 10 years, I had an online instructor forum and this is the answers that I gave over time, over 10 years. And so I picked out the 300 best questions and put them in a book. And, um, it's, it's, we're just getting ready to launch. And, Hmm. um, so you go to Amazon and if you type in no, uh, dating essentials for men frequently asked questions, um, I think the print version is up. I think my agent's office sent me an email just a day or so ago saying it was available, but the the, the ebook definitely is. So uh, check it out. It's what I like about it. It because it was like in, in this class forum when people would ask questions. Um, I had no reservation like in getting the big stick out and just being blunt. Mm-hmm. And, and just getting to the point, you know, you know, as a dumbass thing to do, or that, yeah. it, here's why that doesn't work. So this book, it, I think even says, you know, uh, uncensored, you know, raw responses to your questions about women dating and sex. Yeah. So I, I, it was a fun, it was a fun book. It actually probably took me longer to, to write than the others, even though I'd already written all these answers to just spend the time with them pick the ones, clean them up, present it, you know, in a really coherent way. Um, so I, I, I think, I think you might have fun with this one. I'll, I'll look forward to hearing uh, your feedback of what you think. Yeah, I'll, I'll check it out and uh, I'll shoot you an email about it. The, when you talk about being blunt with your students though, that it immediately popped into my head, a story in dating essentials for men where uh, some guy said he, he liked to show up late for a coffee date to make her pay. And you said in your book, I kicked his ass, not the right way to set the tone. And I was like, and every time I hear that, I'm like, yeah, that's a total douche move. Like, why would you even do that? You know, but yeah, but you know, we, 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 we all need the, we all need the good dad. We all need the, 
you know, the, the good masculine initiation, you know, from the tribal elders that that's why, that's why none of us know how to date. There's a few reasons why none of us know how to date. Number one is our ancestors didn't do it. It's not in our DNA. Mm -hmm. A million and a half years, we were tribal. Everything was shared, including sexual access. Every man had access to every woman in the tribe. Mother Nature likes that. Mother Nature likes lots of penises and lots of vaginas. Mother Nature does not like monogamy. That's bad for the gene pool. Mm -hmm. um, but that, I mean, men invented that just a few thousand years ago. Um, so for a million and a half years, there's no dating. And then for about the last 10,000 ish years where we've had more of the pair bonded quote, lifelong type relationships, those were all purely economic up until maybe 200 years ago, or maybe even less than that. It's just, you know, um, you know, th this, this King's family got together, this King's family or this peasant's family, you know, traded their daughter for uh, this other peasant's family's cow or whatever, mm -hmm. all economic and people stayed together economically. Even our parents or grandparents generation, they didn't date. They, you know, most people, my, my wife has two brothers. I've said 10 kids, but two of her brothers are married to two of her childhood girlfriends. Mm. That's how it used to be done. You married your sister's best friend or you, somebody you met at church or on the farm next door. We didn't go out, you know, far and wide looking for, you know, the, this ideal person. So the, that, the, the actual dating, our, our, our parents and grandparents probably didn't even do that. Um, and then the whole idea that we're going to get together for love and sexual access, that's all really recent. I, I, I heard somebody say that Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet to show the fallacy of, of romantic love. Oh, we love each other so much. Let's kill ourselves. You know, that's what most of us want to do after we actually get into a relationship based on that initial, oh, I love you so much. Mm -hmm. But then the dating part in a lot of parts of the world, there's still no dating. If you go to India, a lot of marriages are still yeah. arranged by family. I, I, I talked to, you know, Indian men living in America and Europe and, and you know, their families still want to, you know, have final say on on who they date, who, who they get in a relationship with, who they marry. So the idea of dating is just not in our DNA. And, and so we struggle with that. And, and to top it off, nobody's taught us how to do it. And, and if the best advice we get is, is from pickup artists or, you know, people on YouTube, uh, uh, you know, when I started dating in my late forties, you know, I read the game and, and, you know, and I, I got into David D'Angelo and there, there's a lot of good stuff out there. I, st I still like the game. I, th I thought it was a well-written book. In fact, I liked it better than his second book, the truth. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that, that he's a narcissist. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have those on my, my reading list. I haven't read them yet, but. So even pickup has, has, you know, some, some psychologically sound uh, uh, basis to it. But most of us have not ever been taught by somebody to, to say, you know, that doesn't, that's not going to work or that doesn't attract women. Because when I got out dating in my 40s, I thought, you know, I've been married twice for almost 25 years. I shouldn't have dated either of these women more than three dates. Yeah, I you thought, said that I, in your book. Yeah. <laughs> I got be, to become a better picker. Most importantly, I got to become a better ender. And what I realized is that dating is actually a series of making a lot of bad picks or at least wrong picks. You know, you want a first date with somebody and you go, 
Yeah, you know, there was some promise, but nah, don't want to see him a second time. You should have a lot of one and does. That is how dating should work. Mm -hmm. And if you're a good ender, if you can end it well after one date or after three or after having sex with them and realizing, eh, I don't want to do that again, or after three months and you go, no, I just don't want to do this for the rest of my life. If you can be a good ender, you can cover a multitude of sins of being the bad picker. But who teaches us how to do that stuff? And who teaches us how to handle women's shit tests? And who teaches us how to set the tone and take the lead? Who teaches us how to set boundaries? So again, we, we need, you know, the good father, the good elders to, to initiate into the, us into this stuff and give us the skill set. And that's why I say, you know, I, I love working with men because I can get the big stick out. I can kick the guy's asses and go, thank you, Dr. Glover. I appreciate that. Nobody's yeah, we appreciate that it. We appreciate yeah, it. we do. Yeah. We men appreciate it. Show me the way. You know, we, 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 we want good direction. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you mentioned, I have, I have a question about this too. So at the beginning of Dating Essentials for Men, you mentioned how when you went out to go do this, that you read a number of books and you listened to a bunch of CDs. So David D'Angelo, um, uh, The Game, what, what else did you read? I remember, um, oh, um, Art of Charm just had started doing podcasts back then. I remember listening, you know, walking in the park, you know, running the park, listening to them. And then like, you know, a few months later, both them and, and David D'Angelo invited me to come on their programs and talk. Mm -hmm. And I go, this is so cool. I learned from these guys and then applied, you know, I, I you know, I'm, 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 I think I'm pretty good at like taking bits and pieces from different theories, different approaches, not just with dating, just, you know, kind of build theory building in general and sure. taking concepts and teaching them. I can take a little from here, a little bit from there and combine them and, and, and make them work and put them out there in coherent ways. So I, you know, I just took what worked. And for example, I'd never, I'm never like cold approach, just walking up to a woman and saying, you know, I think you got a nice ass. Can I have your number? Um, and that's really why we're walking up and talking to them is we think they have a nice ass. Mm -hmm. Now, what that will ever have to do with us, them being a good girlfriend, I don't know, but that doesn't <laughs> seem to matter for us guys. Yeah. But when I learned to like start testing for interest and how to find out, you know, how high is a woman's interest in having an interaction with me? That was such a valuable life skill that I just honed through trial and error over time. And where I do that with everybody I meet, men and women alike, is you start learning to pay attention to, um, does this person, are they interested? Are we just having a little bit of small talk? Or is there something here of, of more value that we want to continue in some way? And I've met most of my guy friends that way. And, and a lot of women that I met and dated um, just met just through testing for interest. That's how I met my wife. I was walking down a street in Puerto Vallarta and she said, hola, senor, want a massage? Mm -hmm. I said, in Spanish, no, not today, maybe later and kept walking. And uh, I liked her voice and walked <laughs> back and said, how much? And like I said, we're about to have our fifth anniversary. Yeah. So the learning from not just the dating coaches and gurus, um, but learning like from David Data, Mm -hmm. uh, just, just great stuff to understand polarity between, between men and women. Um, my own training as a marriage therapist, um, uh, another, another great books, a book called passionate marriage by David Snarch. And, uh, he, he just passed away about six months ago. Brilliant guy. I've heard him speak. Um, and, and in his book, he talks a lot about differentiation and fusion and, and, and how in intimate relationships, you, you have to have differentiation, a separate self to keep the polarity and, and to keep it interesting. And, you know, 
most people don't aren't, aren't talking about that kind of stuff. So, but if you can take, you know, this stuff from all these different areas and go out and practice it, like I said, in dating essentials for men, I, I said, I was going to be a scientist. I just put on my lab coat and I'd go out and, you know, I'd, I'd go sit down at a bar at happy hour and put my, my razor phone up on the bar back when razor phones were really cool. A little yep. you know, silver flip phone and women say, Oh, is that a razor phone? And I, I go, <laughs> yeah. You know, and I get to talk and say, all right, just give me your number. I'm going to give you a call. You know, I went out and just started practicing stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and like, for example, for a lot of guys, Getting a phone number, and it was for me, is like, how do you get a phone number? How do you know if a woman wants to give you a phone number? Well, actually saying, give me your number is one of the best tests to find out, does she have an interest in an ongoing interaction? Yeah. If you never require something of her, you never know. And you'll keep debating in your head. Was she interested? Was she not? You know, was she just being friendly? So, you know, I learned just, just getting a number is if you're having a, an enjoyable conversation with somebody, if you've already asked their name, if you're already kind of clicking in some way, you know, I tell you guys, just take your phone out, say, all right, I, I got a plan. I'm going to hook up with you later this week. I'm going to give you a call and tell you about my plan. Give me your number. Mm-hmm. You know, don't ask for it. Don't say you want to go out sometime. That shit doesn't work. Anything right. passive doesn't work. Bold works because believe it or not, women don't want to tell us no. They right. do. They do really want to say yes to our, our bold request. So just say, give me your number. I'm going to give you a call later in the week. I mean, I just hone this stuff over time. And then when I get the number, I would key it into my phone right then, hit dial while she's standing in front of me using your ring and her vibrating in her purse or if it's in front. And then it would go to voicemail. I said, hey, this is Robert. I'm standing right in front of you. You just gave me your number. I want you to know who this number is that just called you. Right. And uh-huh. I said, I'm going to call you in a couple of days. I got a plan for getting together. And then I would do that right in front of her. Mm-hmm. Now, that was just something that just came through trial and error and monkeying around. And and over time, I thought that worked really well. And so, you know, a lot of it is just, and then that's what I tell guys, you know, get out there and just practice stuff, just try stuff. And especially if you can do this, if you, if you can quit looking at dating as trying to get validation, get approval, get a girlfriend, get laid. If dating isn't those things, just treat it as an experiment. And then you can try anything because yeah. you're not trying to get approval. You're not trying to get laid. You're not trying to get a girlfriend. You're not trying to get a date. You're just trying to find out what works. That's and exactly that you up. That's exactly what I, and I learned it from your book. I treat it like a like a you're a scientist. It's a science experiment. And what I what I would do and and I we encourage a lot of guys to do this on the the 3% man Facebook group is go out on your date you know, and take notes, mental notes of what worked, what didn't work. What did you do right? What did you do wrong? And then come back and, and video it and tell us how the date went. Fantastic. You know? And then that way, you know, we're holding you accountable. You're also like spreading some value to us. Like, Hey, this worked really well. You know, this guy's tip. I learned this from Dr. Glover and blah, blah, blah. This was, this worked great. And uh, so we, we've all been trying to do that. Most of us have some people, you know, are pretty, pretty, pretty much slackers, but but yeah, that, and then you don't have a focus uh, on outcome with that. Yeah. Tate, I mean, one of the things is, you know, I stress all the time, letting go of attachment to outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the Buddha said that attachment is the cause of all suffering. 
And the reason why most of us suffer in, in all areas of life, but especially in dating and relationship, is the things we get attached to. And I, I hone that down. It's an emotional attachment to a specific outcome. I want that woman to like me. I want that woman to be my girlfriend. I want that woman to have sex with me. I want that woman to never leave me. And we get attached to those specific outcomes. And, and actually the one that most people have, the biggest attachment is I don't want to ever look foolish or get rejected. Mm -hmm. Now that attachment to never wanting to look foolish or get rejected makes you suffer. Usually you just play it safe and don't do anything. So you actually never really get anything, which is kind of where you end up if you get rejected anyway. So why not go for it and increase the odds of actually having a story to tell when it, when it's all over? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing in my, in, in, in dating essentials for men that I absolutely love, and it's just because uh, of the, you know, the stuff that I'm into, but you have a whole chapter on abundance thinking. Yeah. And you talk a lot about attitude of gratitude and that is straight out of the secret. Like it's law of attraction stuff. And I, I love that stuff. And, and, uh, and so I just wanted to ask, like, are you, are you like in a law of attraction type of guy? <laughs> oh my goodness. Are we going to go there? All right, let's go. Yeah, let's go there. <laughs> I hate, I, I hate that shit. I think it's bullshit, Really? Hey, let okay. me, but, but let me tell you why. Yeah. Okay. Actually that, that, that whole, um, and let me sort this out where I got the whole attitude of gratitude from is 12 step program. Okay. And, and cause you know, they have all kinds of platitudes, you know, and, and, and I was in a 12 step program when I first started developing my own gratitude practice. Cause I was just, I actually started going to a 12 step program when I split with my second wife mm -hmm. and, um, and I, I, I was hurting. I was a mess. I was addicted to her. Um, and I just thought I, I was going to like three uh, 12 step groups for sex addicts a week, not because I was a sex addict. I just needed to be in a men's group. So that's where I went and found my men's group. Sure. And um, and I was actually writing a, a, another piece. No more Mr. Nice. Day. I was just about to come out and I was writing a class to support it. And I was trying to write a lesson about gratitude. And, um, and it was just a struggle. And I thought, you know, I don't think I have an, a, an abundance attitude. I have a deprivation attitude mm -hmm. now. Here's where I am. Here's where I don't like the, the secret and law of attraction. There's yeah. a couple, three reasons. One is it is based on a book called the law of attraction. And if you've actually read it, I had to quit reading it because it, it actually started making my brain want to blow up because it basically says every thought you think you're going to manifest mm -hmm. and, and which, which means, Oh no, I just had a negative thought. Am I going to fucking manifest that into the world? <laughs> yeah. I got paranoid reading the book. Okay. Now the book was written by a husband wife team where the woman basically channeled an entity from another sphere and blinked her eyelids while her husband treated that as a code and wrote the book. That's, mm -hmm. that's where the wisdom came from. And then the gal that, that, that wrote the secret and did the movie about it, she, they were in, that couple was in the first version of the secret. They're not. Why? Because they had a falling out with each other and they don't talk to each other anymore. So she cut them out of later versions of the secret. Interesting. And I'm, yeah. And I'm, and I'm thinking if this whole manifestation law of attraction thing works so well, they could have figured out how to get along with each other. You'd think, um, yeah. you, you, you think, yeah. <laughs> and what I, what I, what I dislike most about the secret is how friggin' materialistic and narcissistic it is. Sure. I'm going to visualize this man putting a, you know, some pearls around my neck, or I'm going to visualize this amazing house with a swimming pool. And then there it is. It manifested. <laughs> and, and, um, 
you know, and, and you know, and I, I've listened to um, what is this, the um, breaking the habit of being yourself? Um, can't think of the author's name. He's he's really into the whole manifestation and the quantum physics of how you observe something. Now, yeah. here's what here's here's what I don't like uh, about the secret law of attraction. It it, it takes, I think, some truth, mm-hmm. some things that I think are, are are truly valid, mixes them with materialism, pop psychology, and and magic, and mm-hmm. people and, and people like that. People, if you mix anything with magic. Oh, it's magic. If you think it, think and grow rich. <laughs> I've tried reading Napoleon Hill, think and grow rich three different times. I can't yeah. get through it. I can't. It just says, Oh, just keep working long enough and it'll happen. Um, and so I, I've, I, but here's what I do believe. Yeah. Whatever our view of ourselves in the world is, is going to be true. Mm-hmm. If you see yourself in a certain way, that is going to be true. Um, because we'll act in accordance with our deepest held beliefs. We won't see anything that contradicts. We'll, we'll have confirmation bias. If I think, for example, I'm a fat, unattractive, or balding guy that no woman would ever want, I'm going to be a fat, balding, unattractive guy that women never want. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to act that way to reinforce. Yeah. I'm going to, it's going to be a self perpetuating belief. I'm going to, view the world that way. So if I go like hit on an attractive woman and she doesn't have interest in me, I'm going to see there's proof. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a fat, balding, unattractive man that nobody wants. But what I don't notice is the women that are trying to get my attention are flirting with me. You said you got with a woman that was really bold. Um, and and women don't, don't tend to be super bold, mm-hmm. but they do, they do send more signals of interest than men do. Right. They just do it in different ways. Like I said, you know, having a jealous Latina wife, I've learned to now see signs of women's interest. I used to not even see or ignore, you know, that when, you know, when the when the waitress kind of bends over and gives you a cleavage shot while she puts something on it. I used to think, oh, she just doesn't know her boobs are hanging out. Yeah, they know it. They know their <laughs> boobs are hanging out. They, it's a cleavage shot. Look at my boobs. And, uh-huh. and you know, if, you know, when they kind of lean up against you a little bit and you're thinking, oh, she's just being friendly for a tip. No, it's not what it is. And so the, the point is what we believe to be true will be true. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so if we have a deprivation view of the world that I'm never going to find love, the goodies always go to everybody else. We have resentment for the good things that people have. Um, you know, we just we 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 just sit and be miserable that, you know, w- that's going to be our world. It is going to manifest. And I get up every morning at seven o'clock and go outside, take a cup of coffee, take my 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 pit bull with me. We have we have lounge chairs right next to each other. We watch the sun come up and I just meditate on gratitude for about the first 15 to 20 minutes of my day. Everything I'm grateful for. And it's amazing. My life isn't perfect. There's, you know, I, I keep having issues with, with internet down here where I, it'll go out and be out for a week and I won't know when they're going to come fix it. And my whole job revolves around the internet. That's <laughs> frustrating. It's stressful, but it's amazing when I just bring my attention back to not what isn't working, but to what I'm grateful for. Yeah. Things seem to work out just fine. And, <laughs> and so while I do believe what we believe will be true. How we see the world is how the world's going to believe. I, I'm I'm still skeptical that thinking something is going to cause molecules to rearrange themselves and show up in a completely different way because I thought it. 
Yeah, I, I'm still a little skeptical. Of I don't think that I when I read uh, books on it, that's not how I look at it either. I I, I don't I'm not like uh, I want a bicycle like the 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 idea of the kid yeah. getting a bicycle right. It doesn't yeah. just magically appear here. That's not how any of this works, you know. But, uh, but, but, yeah, but the, if the kid's sitting around thinking, I'm never going to have a bike, I'm never going to have a bike. Right. It's well, kind of like, like, like going back to like, you know, the, the uh, rich dad, poor dad, you know, there's yeah. an example in there where, you know, he says, you know, he, he wanted a bike and his, his, his dad, the poor dad said, oh, bikes are expensive. You know, I don't know how we'll ever be able to afford one, but the, the, the rich dad, I think his friend's dad or whatever said, yeah. Let's figure out a way that you can get to work, start saving money and put some money aside and, and get yeah. a bike. So, yeah, I, how we think about it is going to affect what does show up in our life. Yeah, that's so that's how I've always seen it work is, you know, uh, if I want that bike, I know I want it. I can picture myself having it. And then I start sort of figuring out ways that I can make it happen, you know, get a job. Yeah. Oh, I can, I can sell this. I can, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, I don't, and, and I don't, I don't think that's a law of attraction. I think it's just hard work and focus. It, it, uh, it is. Maybe it is, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, but still like believing that you can get it, you figure out how you can do it, you know? Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll just give you a quick example. I mean, uh, this house that I bought uh, five years ago, mm -hmm. um, I'd lost, I'd lost my lease on a condo down here that I liked and it, that it happened to me two different times. And I thought, I don't want to have anybody ever tell me again, I got to move out of a place I like. So I started looking around. I looked for lots and condos and houses all around in Puerto Vallarta, outside. It wasn't finding anything. And then, um, you know, I was really kind of getting kind of frustrated with it. My wife wasn't my wife yet, but she said, you know, I, I don't know what you want, Robert. I don't know how to help you. I don't know what you're looking for. I said, I don't know either. I said, but when it finds me, I'll know. Mm -hmm. The very next day after having that conversation, we went to look at a house, this house that I'd seen two days before had a big sign on it, walked through it, two stories, swimming pool out back, um, about 40 years old, beautiful old Mexican construction, tile roof, uh, nice little garden, actually over, overgrown garden. But we just walked through the house and I, I didn't say a word, just walked through it out back upstairs. We got out front. My wife looked at me and she said, you love it, don't you? And I said, I'm going to buy this house. So I don't know how I'm going to buy this house because you to get financing down here in Mexico, you know, it would have been like 15% interest, you mm -hmm. know, and I didn't have the cash to buy it. I can't, you can't get financing in the U S for Mexican homes. So I sat with it. And the next morning I got up and sat by the pool in my condo, reading some tick knock on just, you know, kind of just, what can I do? And I came up with a plan. Mm -hmm. And I thought, all right, I'm going to, it was two, um, two women had inherited it from their mother. They, they were Mexican, had lived in the house, but now lived in America, both of them, but they were both married and had kids and they inherited it and they were selling it. And so I, I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to ask them to own or finance it. And I'm going to, I'm going to offer them X amount up front, five years of owner financing with a hundred thousand balloon payment at the end of five years. And I, I called the real estate agent up who I talked to and I said, make this offer. And he said, they won't accept it. I said, make the offer. Mm -hmm. And he made it. They came back with a counter offer, shorter amount of time, a little bit more upfront. I negotiated the upfront back down again, um, took the shorter amount of time, 5% interest, $100,000 balloon payment, interest-free at the end of three years. I bought a quarter million dollar house and paid it off in three years. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I, I just knew, I just knew this was the house I needed to buy. Mm -hmm. And I, I, 
I got creative. Instead of saying, I can't buy it. I can't get 15% interest. I can't get a loan. I don't have cash. I'm not going to borrow from my mother. I'm, I thought, how can I do it? And um, again, paid it off three years ago. Love the house. And um, I'm so grateful to be here. And so many good things in my life have worked out that way. Is when you say, okay, how can I do it? How can I make this work? Mm-hmm. And not try to force it, but create that, that again, that, that, that attitude that, okay, let's see if we can make this work. Got it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I think we're, we're on the same page. I think we are. <laughs> I think we're on the same page. <laughs> I just love it when people ask me about the secret. Oh, okay. I, that's funny. Do people ask you about it a lot? Not a lot, but I do. I, it does come up. It does, it come, does up. come up. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing uh, I specifically wanted to talk to you about, because there's a. And by the uh, way, you're going to get a bunch of people saying that's not exactly the way they wrote the book of Law of Attraction, or that's yeah. not exactly what happened. You know, you 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 know. Hopefully, they call you and not me. Yeah, they'll yeah they'll <laughs> complain about me, and I'll be like, he he made sense. He made sense what he was saying. So, <laughs> one of the things that came up recently, um, I went to a, a men's retreat with. Uh, uh, there's a bunch of dating coaches in the three percent man group, and one of them is a good friend of mine. And he had a men's retreat in Georgia back in August, and one of his uh, one of his clients was in the middle of reading Dating Essentials for Men, and one of the things that he teaches is like always go for the the hottest women you can, you know, like mm-hmm. never settle and whatever. And 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 the guy who was reading the book said, well, you know, Doctor Glover has a whole section on uh, guys who say. <laughs> Breaking the addiction to superficial beauty. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and guys who are like, uh, if I can't drive a Bentley, I won't drive at all. Yeah. And he's like, is he actually telling guys to, to, to settle for less? I go, that's not what he's saying. Uh, I was like, the, what I got out of that is you should really walk through open doors, you know? And, but I wanted to get your take on that. Yeah. Well, I'll give you my take. Yeah. Uh, I, and, I, and I do, I do talk about in dating essential. Here's the deal. Every dating coach out there, well, at least every, every come on promotion on the internet, mm-hmm. you know, get the hottest women, you know, get, you know, have these instant guaranteed pickup, hypnosis, NLP tricks, you know, lines, openers, you know, whatever. And I've never heard, not once, a dating coach say why it's a good idea to get the hottest woman you can. Mm-hmm. We just assume it must be a good idea, right? Now, what, what, what I'll sometimes jokingly say, I say, all right, you, you know, you, you, your car needs to be worked on and, and it's some pretty serious work. Um, are you going to go get the most qualified mechanic or the hottest looking mechanic? You know, you need, you need heart surgery. Are yeah. you going to go get the heart surgeon with the best ass or the heart <laughs> surgeon that saved the most lives? Now, yeah. but we think when it comes to relationship, Beauty is the thing that is, is the main determining factor. Right. And, you know, I list a number. My second wife was gorgeous. Everywhere we went, people said, is that your wife? And I go, yeah. And they, they would all say, she's gorgeous. I've seen that. That's the word they all use. She was tall, big boobed, attractive. Um, just, she, I mean, everybody hit on her. Women hit on her. Men hit on her. Everywhere we went. And she was batshit crazy. And... <laughs> In my experience, the most attractive women are the worst people to get with. This is a generalization because since they were little girls, 
they've been fawned on, you know, everybody gives them all the attention. Nobody's held them accountable for a goddamn thing in their life. They throw a fit or if they're unhappy, everybody tries to make it better. They, you know, they can leave at any moment because they know they're going to get attention somewhere else. I found that in general, the most attractive women are the least mature, least developed, least qualified to be in a relationship with. Um, for, for any number of reasons. And I think it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out why. I mean, but of course we are attracted to body parts is how we're wired. But a relationship is more than just a sum of body parts. And if we're just going to, man, she's got a great ass, man. I love her tits, man. I love her figure. Oh, she's really cute. And, and, you know, and those are great things. I think we should be with women we find attractive and to base all of our attraction on body parts is really superficial and immature. And mm -hmm. most coaches play into men's immaturity. It'd be the same thing if there was coaches out there. I'm sure there are for women saying, here's how you get the richest guy. Don't settle for anybody that doesn't have a yacht that doesn't have a Bentley that you don't want to settle. And of course that makes sense too. Why wouldn't you go get, you know, the richest guy you can get, but does that mean he'll be shit in relationship? Well, will he be worthwhile? <laughs> now, in my experience, when, when, when I was dating, instead of like approaching the hottest women I could find, I just started paying attention to the women who were showing high interest in me. Now, did I want to date all of them? No. Um, I, I used to hang out in a coffee shop in my apartment building, and there was a, a woman in there that she told I mean, I got, she, she became a good friend and said, Robert, if I was 20 years younger, I would so date you. And I, I was thinking, uh, let's go for 30 years. If you're 30 years younger than me, <laughs> I found out later she went to the same high school as my mother and graduated two years ahead of my mother. And she said, but I was a cheerleader. And I go, that's cool. Props for you. You were a cheerleader. And, and so I didn't want to date every woman that showed high interest in me. But what I did is I did walk through a lot of open doors with a lot of really interesting women, intelligent women, funny women, sexy women, um, just, and I, and I had a good time. I, I remember after I'd been dating for several years, I, I started dating a woman and, and I, I think she'd kind of been off the dating scene for a little while herself. And she said, have, have you like, you know, been hurt a lot or had a lot of bad experiences dating? I go, no, actually I've had a really good time. Uh, I've met a lot of really amazing women. And, and so I met smart, funny, sexy, sensual, love to fuck kind of women. And, um, and I'll take that any day over a 10 mm -hmm. now, and, and to even just kind of make it more simple. Yeah. You know, I, I like driving a nice car. I've back in Seattle at my mom's house. I've got a, a Mercedes ML 63 AMG. It's, it's a, a, one of the fastest SUVs ever built lovely mm -hmm. car. It's a few years old, but it's just, I love driving that car. And you know, who wouldn't, it's just a great, fast, comfortable car with a $6,000 sound system that, that thumps. Right. <laughs> so I, I love that, but you know, I'll park in front of my house here. I've got a 2006 Honda CRV that I'm just going to drive until it dies. You know, I do, you know, it's, it's not, one isn't better than the other. And you know, you, most of us don't start out driving the Mercedes or driving the Bentley. We get a Honda Civic. Maybe we, we move up to a Honda Accord after that. Maybe we get an Acura after that. But 
we don't start up here. And the guys that say, I like said, I can't drive a Bentley. I won't drive. If I can't date a 10, I won't date. They never fucking date. Mm-hmm. They just, they just stay in their mother's basement and go on red pill forums and talk about spinning plates all the time. And they can't even fucking approach a woman or talk to her or ask her out or get a number. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying it makes more sense. Pay attention to the women who David Davis was where I got it from. David Davis said, choose a woman who chooses you. Mm-hmm. My wife said, oh, listen, you're want a massage. The first time we ever had sex, she initiated it. She walked in the room with a condom and said, stop me in. I'm thinking, I hadn't even thought about having sex. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let me take you out on a date. And, and, you know, she was showing high interest in me. And for the first year we were together, we just got together once a weekend and fucked. That's all we did for a year. And then after a while, she said, you know, I like being with you. And that scared me. I thought, oh, no, <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I, I like the arrangement just once a week, you know, come over to my place and we'll drink margaritas and put on some good Latin music and fuck. And, <laughs> you know, a week later, I said, you know, I, I, I like being with you, too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, it's probably not the ideal way to start a relationship, but it didn't start because she was the hottest woman walking down the street. It started because she showed high interest in me. I found her attractive. I found her a lot of fun. And, you know, several years later, she's still a fun fuck and still treats me like gold. And I'm glad I'm with her. I wouldn't trade her. Mm -hmm. So the beauty doesn't tell you anything. It either just tells you they're a genetic celebrity, that they were born with good genes and probably been, you know, treated like, you know, uh, like, you know, movie stars since they were little girls or they spend a lot of money on plastic surgery, cosmetics, clothes, and and you're going to be expected to pick the bill up for that. Now, again, I'm not dissing on attractive women. Be with people you find attractive, but attraction is more than just body parts. It's their quality. I mean, are they generous? Are they loving? Are they open hearted? Do they mm-hmm. treat you well? Can they resolve problems with you? Can they talk with you about what's on their mind? Those are things you need. Even if you're just going to get together once a week and fuck them, you still got to have some of those qualities to make to, to make it worthwhile getting together with them once a week. Yeah, definitely. I think that's it. I think that's a good explanation. And I'm going to send this, uh, this clip to, to them. <laughs> there you go. Send, send and, and they'll still say, yeah, but yeah, there'll still be a yeah. lot of, yeah, but, yeah, but, <laughs> but, you know, I'm just not turned on by the, and, and I said, okay, stop looking at porn. That's the yeah. number one, num- number one rule I give men stop looking at porn. Porn distorts everything. It distorts sex. It distorts beauty. It distorts relationship. It distorts expectations. Stop mm-hmm. looking at porn. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, a good tip. Uh, how are you doing on time? Are we okay? We're good. We're good. Oh, okay, uh, I have uh, just a couple more questions. That I Let's think we do can them. wrap up. So, besides your books, uh, your website, uh, drglover.com, you you have a number of online courses available, and one of them is on positive emotional tension. Yeah, and one of the guys in the three percent man group wanted to know what that is and if you can give some examples in a long-term relationship. <laughs> I'm going to take the class. That's yeah. how you find out what it is. I, <laughs> I sell this stuff, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So positive emotional tension probably is my, my most popular class. Um, and, and I think it probably does as good a job as, as any that you'll find. And, it, and it's, it's the book I'm working on right now mm-hmm. um, to, to explain what attracts women and uh, what attaches them to a man and what keeps them interested over time, like in long-term relationship. 
And and the basic premise is, and I just, I just had this aha while running on a beach about 10 plus years ago here in Vallarta. And I don't even know where, where it came from, but I just ran a bunch of stairs and it just hit me. Women need emotional tension. And then it's just like, then it just started go, just spinning in my head. And what it boils down to is that women need to experience emotional tension to feel attraction, arousal, and attachment with a man. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we men tend to hate emotional tension, especially in a relationship. You know, when we meet a woman that we like and we're into, we want to get that thing on secure ground and locked down as quickly. We want to know for sure she likes us. She's our girlfriend now. And, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're good to go. We're moving forward. And if anything comes up that creates tension, we try to fix it, solve it. I call it putting the wet stuff on the red stuff. Any fire comes up, we get the hose out, put that. We keep everything calm, smooth, copacetic, good to go. That's how we men are. If there's a problem, we're fixers, right? Now, the problem is, is that women have to have this emotional tension all the time. It never goes away, their need for it. Now, we see it in the drama that they create. We see it in the way they twist something that we said or take something out of context and act like, you know, this is the truth of it. Um, it, It manifests in so many different ways. So here's what happens is that women will often do things to, to create emotional tension with us. And instead of us going, oh, she's into me, we go, oh, I got to fix that. I got to solve that. I, I remember, for example, like um, after I got good at dating, about three or four different women you know, at some point said, you're a player. And, you know, I, I heard that as an accusation, like, oh, shit, you know, I'm in trouble for something. And what, what, what I didn't realize till maybe a little bit later was I just had gotten so good at creating emotional tension to where women just were drawn and wanted to take their panties off that yeah. they assumed I must be a player. I must do this a lot. But I was just being, you know, affectionate and physical and playful and setting the tone and lead and kind of being bossy at times and saying, here's the rules and just making fun, uh, having fun with all this. And every woman that ever told me that I was a player, you know, was fucking me within an hour or two. One took 24 hours because I made her wait 24 mm-hmm. hours before I would fuck her because she called me a player. And that was still just me creating emotional tension. Now, you're going to have to wait now. You know, you could have had it tonight, but you, you were a bad girl. You called me a player. Yeah. So what happens is if we men are not creating what I call the positive emotional tension, PET, i.e. setting the tone and leading, creating polarity, um, having a healthy space, healthy differentiation. If we are not doing these things, the woman will either lose interest in us or she'll create negative emotional tension, NET. Now, guys will say, how can I make sure I create enough PET that my woman never creates NET? I go, that won't happen. <laughs> that's impossible, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's, still, <laughs> that's still you wanting everything to be smooth and easy and never have anything. Yeah. No, if, if she's interested in you, she's going to, you know. So, for example... Um, this is what I've had to deal with. I mentioned the case of my wife when she says, you were looking at that woman's ass. And usually I don't know what woman she's talking about. I said, would you please point out the woman's ass you think I'm looking at so I can actually look at it and, you know, see, let you know. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's that part of me that wants her to quit accusing me of things I don't do. Right. But I also realize, you know, if I got her to quit doing all of that stuff, it would strip the tension out of our relationship. So it's one way that now I've learned to, da- <clears throat> to dance with it, to play with that emotional tension. Um, 
something just came up yesterday. And then, you know, later on, she, last night we went to get something to eat and she goes, you know, I don't really want to fight with you. I go, yeah, you do. You like fighting. She goes, I think you like fighting too. No, I said, I don't like fighting actually, but I do like screaming. So anytime you want to start a fight, I'll I'll be happy to scream at you. So we we, we can play with it and and joke about it. So it's not like toxic in our relationship, but it's still part of the dance. And then like, for example, then, then like with sex, my wife can just create just the darkest, nasty fantasies while she and I are having sex with each other. That invo- if these things ever happen in real life, you know, she'd cut my dick off and then shoot me. Um, <laughs> but she, she'll make up these stories. And another thing I learned is that whenever she accused me of like, you know, looking at some woman or checking her out instead of me going, oh, I wasn't looking at her. I don't know what you're talking about. The next time we'd have sex, I would bring that woman into a sexual fantasy with her. And like, she just, you know, is off like that just comes like, boom. And I'm thinking, man, we got to play with this stuff. It's juicy. Yeah. It's ripe. And again, we men just, we want things calm and smooth. We want to fix everything. And we think if a woman's upset about anything, we're not going to get laid. The opposite is true. If they're already wound up, they're wound up, right? Mm-hmm. Usually if everything's calm and smooth, you know, they're not interested. So in the long-term relationship, here's what I'd tell the guy that asked the question is a really good place to start a really powerful way of, of creating this polarity, right? Polarity is always about um, submission and domination. That's always right. It's always about leading and following top, bottom, pitcher, catcher, doesn't matter what we call it. There's always, you know, two, two magnetic fields creating yeah. polarity. And most men over time in relationship quit leading. They just leave all the decisions up to the woman. And, you know, they, you know, don't want to rock the boat. Just they want her to be happy. You decide, dear. And, and that creates no polarity. And if it does, it puts the woman in the masculine pole, the doer of deciding everything, and him in the passive role of just going along, the feminine mm-hmm. role. Mm-hmm. And most women don't want to fuck from that masculine role, at least not their, their, their male partner. Now, they can get into it, and, and a lot of women will really get off on being the dominant role, which is great. Play with it. right? But over time in re- long-term relationship, it tends to dry up women's sexual juices if they're in their masculine all the time. Yeah. So one of the things I recommend guys do first date or, you know, 30 years in is that they tell the woman, say, all right, wait for me. I'm going to open your door. I will always open your door, let you in the car, let you out of the car, going into any building. Wait, I will open the door. Now it takes training. As my mother told me, she said, if I was waiting for your dad to open my door, I'd still be waiting. He's been dead about, about 11 years. Yeah. I've trained my mother. I've chest bumped my mother back into the, 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 the and closed the door and opened it again. And now, and, and I've trained my granddaughter. She's 15 now, but I started with her on, which is about seven. Right? Mm-hmm. My, my wife and every woman I've ever done this with, they test you a little bit, but then, you know, you're setting the tone. You're leading, you're the doer, you're, you're, you're the one saying, here's how we're going to do it. And this isn't unloving. It's not controlling. It's not you being an ass. It's a nice thing to say, yeah. wait for me. I'll open your door. And you, and you, but you better be goddamn consistent about it. Cause if, once you train the woman to wait for you to open her door, and then you're like, you for, you're getting out of your car, looking at your cell, or you're thinking this and you walk away and leave her sitting in the car. Oh man, there's going to be hell to pay. Yeah. Okay. But say, you're right. And, and if the woman tests it, they will. The other night, my wife and I were going out to eat with my, my daughter. And as we're walking out the, the gate, she grabbed a bag of garbage out of the front and put it on, out on the front sidewalk and then went and opened her own car door. I said, 
what's that about? The mm-hmm. rules change. She goes, well, if I can carry the garbage out, I can open my own door. And I said, yeah, I know you can. And I said, and wait for me, mm-hmm. and, you know, and opened it back up, put her in, closed it back. And then when we got back home, we joked about it a little bit and she waited. Right. But yeah. they got to test it every now and then. And how you, how you respond to their shit test keeps shows the polarity. Are you man enough to be their man? Mm-hmm. Can they poke it at, 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 at you and you still go, is that the best you got? Come on. Yeah. You get a shit test me, bring, bring, bring your A game. You know, none of this petty stuff. That's why I, I, I find it humorous. Uh, when you, when men learn this stuff, they can look at the, the way women test men and sort of, chuckle at it almost, you know, it's kind of fun and, and realize it's not because like you said in your book, it's not them being shitty. They're testing, make sure you have your shit together. Yeah. And when you have that, that understanding, it's like, okay, no big deal. And then, but there's so many guys that get so frustrated by these shit tests. It's like, Oh, if she tests me, I'm out. Like, dude, they all test you, man. They do. And and here's what I tell guys. (laughs) And you know, this, a woman doesn't shit test you if she doesn't give a shit about you, right? right? She's into you or she would not bother shit testing you. Now, I do want to be clear, and I have to I have to get really clear with this with men. There's a lot of bad behaved women out there, a lot of bad behaved men. But, you know, hey, I work with men and we're, we're, we're trying to get women. Sure. So there's a lot of bad behaved women. As we were joking earlier, you know, they're all borderlines. They're all narcissists, whatever. Um there's just a lot of bad behaved women. And there's a lot of reason why single women are single. They're flaky. If they weren't flaky, they'd probably be in a relationship. And there's a lot of reason a lot of single men are single. We, we have a lot of our own flakiness as well. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Shit tests are never mean. They're not bad behavior. They're little things like, you know, challenging a little bit of the rule like, oh, really, I have to wait for you to open my door. And they don't do it every time. They just do it every now and then to see, are, are you still paying attention? Um, it can be things like, you know, their perpetual lateness. Are, are you going to draw a line and say, if you're not ready to go going without you, babe, you know, mm-hmm. are you, are you, it, it's those kinds of things, not like calling you a fucking asshole or, or, or flirting with your best friend or, yeah. you know, that's bad behavior that requires boundaries. That's a whole different thing than shit test. Yeah. And, and boundaries, that's a whole nother subject, but yeah, <laughs> those are, those are essential as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, So last question I have here is from another guy in the group. He says, uh, if you can go back in time, I had to reword it because I don't think he read your book, but, uh, (laughs) but I did. So I I tried to make this fit better. So I'd rather have his question. I I, I didn't didn't even write it down. Right. Give give me your version. So if you can go back in time before you met your first wife, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give yourself about getting into a long-term relationship? Well, that's a good question. Good question. Um, And it goes back to even kind of like what we're talking about a little bit earlier, but just in a different context. And and it is don't settle. Don't settle and and don't be in a hurry. Um, Because, you know, I got married at 21. Um, I'd we met in college. I'd had uh, a couple girlfriends in college. Uh, You know, I had a few girlfriends in high school, but you know, I always used the nice guy seduction, always just went really slow, sat next to him in class, tried to answer a lot of questions to impress him that I was smart, uh, maybe listen to him talk about some stuff, try to volunteer to do something for them, all that nice guy seduction stuff. No, no polarity, no positive emotional tension. Just look, I'm nice. By the way, nice creates 
no PET with mm-hmm. women. That doesn't mean being ass, but nice doesn't create it. Right. The nice is the covert contracts. I'm going to give to get. I'm going to try to get you to like me. Right. And um, and you know when 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 I graduated, and we got married two days after I graduated, I think there's a part of me that was kind of kind of kind of scared and. Could I make it on my own? My family put a lot of fear into me about the world. It's really hard out there. I went to a Christian college. They said, you know, you need to meet someone here and marry them. And, um, and you know, my first wife's the mother of my son. Um, she's a good human being. We were not at all a good match. I'm active. I like to get out. I like to have fun. She liked to stay home and read and do counted cross stitch. Um, we just were not a very good match. And like I said, I like to resolve shit. Um, to this day, I still don't know what, what I did that pissed her off, you know, for 30 years ago to make her not talk to me for days. Right. So I, I, I and I, I don't, I hate to use the term don't settle, but let's say this, don't, don't get in a hurry. And, and if you, if you see traits in a woman that you wish were different or that you wish you could change. Don't marry her. Don't, don't, you know, don't, don't even turn that into a long-term relationship. And that's one of the best things I know to pay attention to. If, if you wished this was different, that's never going to go away. You're going to keep wishing that was different and probably you're going to keep trying to change her, or you're going to keep fantasizing about what it'd be like to be with somebody that was different and you'll probably cheat on her. Got it. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good, <laughs> very good tip. Um, all right, this was an awesome conversation. It went much longer than I ex- expected, but this is this is great. They, they, they always seem to do that on, on my interviews. I, <laughs> I guess I, I talk a lot. I guess when uh, when we were setting this up, I was like an hour and a half. Nah, but uh, I'm glad I'm glad it was. Set this that was way. fun, Paul. <laughs> I, had, I had a I had a great time. This was just so spontaneous, and uh, it was great. Great. Yeah. I, 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 I agree. Where can, where can people uh, find your stuff online? Well, as you already mentioned, drglover.com, it has everything. It has my classes, my podcasts, um, links to my books, um, my calendar with workshops and things like that. Um, I also have a website dating essentials for men where they have a lot of, a lot of content they, they can check out for, for dating essentials. I have a no more Mr. Nice guy.com website. Um, but if you define everything, drglover.com will do it. If they, if they want to just Google no more Mr. Nice Guy or Google uh, Robert Glover, I come up in the top spaces for both of those searches. Uh, even beat out Alice Cooper for no more Mr. Nice Guy. Really? Really? <laughs> Check it out. Check it out. Kind of a, kind of a big deal. All right, I'm proud I'll, of that. I'll, I'll put a, a link to uh, drglover.com in the, uh, in the description. Fantastic. All right, Dr. Glover, thank you very much. Paul, it was fun. Uh, look forward to doing it again. Yes, sir. Dr. Glover, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me. Uh, I wasn't sure this was going to happen, to be honest, at one point, because um, I emailed I emailed you and uh, I didn't hear back. I didn't hear back for a long time. And I, had a, I have a friend, uh, Richard Joy, who's been on the podcast. He has his own uh, YouTube channel called uh, The Awakened Man. And he had you on his show. And so I was like, dude, how'd you get Dr. Glover? He goes, oh, this is how I did it. And so I followed those same steps and didn't hear anything. I was like, oh man, did it get lost in a spam folder? Blah, blah, blah. You know, like, oh, is this even going to happen? And I was like, no, I've got to, I've got to have this positive mindset that this is going to happen. And, uh, 
and it did happen. It just so happened when you finally reached back out to me that you were on a hiatus. So I'm glad that the hiatus ended and you were able to join me. Such a great conversation. I'd love to have you back on. You're welcome back anytime. So uh, yeah, when your next book comes out, uh, come on back. Let's talk about it. All right, guys. I hope you like this episode and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Come On, Man. If you are new to the podcast, I highly recommend reading How to Be a 3% Man by Corey Wayne at least 10 to 15 times. I recommend you watch his coaching videos on YouTube, and I recommend that you engage with other 3% men in our 3% Man Facebook group. Links to all of these are in the show notes. If you like this episode, please give us a good rating on your favorite podcast platform of choice and share with all of your bros. Now go out and get it.